Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Today, Lauren and I are delivering on a promise that we made a few months ago. You all may remember that back in November, Virginia elected Winsome Sears as their... And not just you. The whole state. Yes, yes. (laughs) She's not just my lieutenant governor. She's the whole state's lieutenant governor. Virginia chose her to be their (laughs) lieutenant governor. Uh, And when that happened, Lauren and I said, you know what? We would love to have her on the show. And that day is today. And I mean, quite frankly, if Lauren and I were to fangirl over anyone, it's probably like Megyn Kelly. I was just about to say, it's going to be Megyn Kelly. Kara Frederick. Oh, well, obviously. Obviously, and Winsome Sears. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or Maybe, oh, Abigail Schreier, too. Oh, yes. But Abigail Schreier. Yeah. Yeah. On our short list of four, Winsome <laughs> Sears is on there. Lauren, why do you love Winsome Sears so much? I just love – she doesn't really care about what the narrative says, what people say about her. She knows who she is, and she's just willing to tell the truth. Yeah. She's so straightforward. She doesn't mince words, and mm. when we talked to her in this interview, she was straightforward. She just says it like it is, and I so mm. appreciate that. And right now, as we're celebrating Black History Month, I'm I'm so excited that we're talking about her and her story. So she immigrated to America from Jamaica, and then she actually chose to serve in the Marines um, even before she was like fully an American citizen. Just totally incredible. So I'm so excited for you all to hear our conversation. Let's go ahead and get to it. It is my distinct privilege to welcome to the podcast, Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. In November, the people of Virginia chose you to be their Lieutenant Governor, and you were sworn into office in January. And I want to take us back for a moment to that night in November when it was declared that you had won the election alongside Governor Glenn Youngkin, and you delivered a really powerful speech that night. I want to take a minute to listen to just a few of your remarks. I am not even first-generation American. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was still a Jamaican. But this country had done so much for me, I was willing, willing to die for this country. Lieutenant Governor, in that speech, you talked about the fact that you were born in Jamaica and then came to America. When did you come to America from Jamaica and and why did you ultimately decide to serve your country, to serve America in the Marine Corps? Well, I came in 1970 was when my father decided, uh, you know, he was stable enough to come back and uh, bring me here. You know, he would come and visit. But um, that was the year that I finally came. And it was a traumatic time for me. You know, I was six years old. It was a new country, new culture, new smells, new sounds. The music was different. Even though people were speaking English, it, it was a different way of speaking English, you know. And, and then I came in the cold and I came from Jamaica where there's sunshine every day. Everything was different. But here I am. Obviously, I've adjusted and adapted. And, um, and then I had to actually make a decision whether I was going to stay in, in um, America or not when I you know, came of age. And I decided I would want to stay here because... For the same reasons my father came, because here 
are, are where is where the opportunities are. Well, I graduated early from high school and I was taking a little bit of time before I went to college, just a few months. And I, I was all set to start college that August, but then my grandmother died and she was, you know, still in Jamaica. And when she died, I just felt like my world had crashed. There was no reason to live. And and it just so happens that there was a jet magazine with an ad for the Marine Corps on my mother's coffee table in Jamaica. Hmm. And I thought to myself, that's what I need. I need discipline. I need a reason to live. And if anybody can do it, the Marine Corps can. And so I joined the Marines. And, uh, yeah, they gave me a lot of reasons to live and a lot of discipline. <laughs> So it was good for me. And, you know, America had always been good to my family and me. And so I was willing, you know, I know I understood that, no, you're not joining the Corps to get college, you know, uh, credits and whatever else. And that that's part of it. But Marine Corps puts a rifle in your hand and tells you the rifle is your best friend. And you understand what that means. So I knew that ultimately I could have possibly been be called upon to give that ultimate sacrifice. But but I was willing. Thank you for your service, Lieutenant Governor. Thank you. You know, I think right now we're at a a moment in history where a a lot of people are wrestling, even even now as we celebrate Black History Month. So many people, I think, are wrestling with America's past of, of slavery and of segregation. Do you view... America as as a good nation. And what would you say to those who argue that the U.S. is fundamentally flawed? There is no country like America. There is none, not one. And there are people who are looking for utopia. And of course, they know it doesn't exist. And it's not going to exist with anyone who's talking about they're a socialist Democrat either. All we have to do is look at all of these other countries that practice this social socialist democratic thing, and it and they see it doesn't work. It doesn't work, and and so this is the best system, the capitalist system. It's, it's working for uh, those who are able to participate. The opportunities are there. I mean, I'm the one who got off the plane, uh, and, and here I am here in the former capital of the Confederacy. For goodness' sake, I am second in command. Second in command, I'm a black woman. I am not first generation American. I am still the immigrant. I, uh, I, 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 as I said, I'm a black woman, immigrant. And what else can you say to me that would say, well, you know, racism, racism, racism? How do you explain me? I'm not an outlier. I'm not a one off. The opportunities are here. Are we denying that there have been problems, that there has been slavery, that there has been racism, or that that there has been segregation and redlining and blue codes and all this stuff? No, we're not denying any of that. We just said, I sit here second in command of the former capital of the Confederacy. And while America may not be what she's supposed to be, as we have a saying in church, I may not be what I'm supposed to be, but I ain't what I used to be. That's America. She may not be what she's supposed to be, but she ain't what she used to be. It is not, as I've said before, 1963, when my father came at the height of the civil rights movement. By the way, Jamaicans have been coming and other people have been coming who are black to America since the 1900s, when it was way worse for us. But we understood that we could make 
the best of what we had, and, and we've been doing that. I like to look at life as being half full. That is, the glass is half full. Because you know what that means? We can keep filling and filling. I am an overcomer. Many black people are overcomers. We could say to ourselves, they threw this in our path, but we've overcome that. They threw that in our path, but we overcome that. And we're going to keep overcoming. We're going to keep striving. We're going to keep, but, you know, the constant black versus white versus Asian versus Hispanic. Who wants to live like that? No. So we need to teach our children all of history, the good, the bad, the ugly, because, you know, one thing we learn from history, as someone said, is that we don't learn from history. But then we're going to keep going. We're going to keep striving because our children need a hope and a future. And to keep looking back, there is nothing back there. The future is ahead. Well, and you have been so strong on that point of education and talking about how important it is that we are making sure our kids are getting the best education possible. And you've been very vocal in your opposition to things like critical race theory in the schools. How do you and Governor Glenn Youngkin plan to get critical race theory out of Virginia schools? Well, as I said, we're going to just teach history. We are going to teach what we know to be true. Uh, We're not going to sugarcoat anything. None of us wants that. In fact, some of us are saying, why don't we make black history the whole curriculum? You know, why is it just a month? So we don't want the other side of the political aisle, some of them, they like to keep people up in arms, always at each other's throat because it helps whatever agenda they have. And so they use the grievances that we as black people have historically faced to to pit us against each other. Well, we're not falling for that trick any longer. There are enough of us who are saying no more We need a good education. We need it now because that's what's going to get us out of uh, the the woods. You see what's happening overseas. We've got the Ukraine. We've got the Russian situation. We've got China uh, and, and wanting to dominate over on that side of the world. You know, they're claiming parts of the South Pacific as theirs and wanting to encroach even more. We don't have time to teach critical race theory. What we need is critical reading theory, critical math, critical science theory, so that we can compete, our children can compete on a global scale at the Mm. global marketplace because America isn't on this planet by herself. So while we're doing this internal struggle, the rest of the world is out there and we have to be prepared. Well, I think so many parents heard that message that you're speaking right now during the election, and they locked onto it, and they said, yes, we want change in our schools. And even this week, we saw that Governor Glenn Youngkin, he signed uh, he signed a bill banning mask mandates in schools in Virginia, another very controversial issue for many people, and something that parents for months and months and months have been saying, let's get masks out of schools. But even as he has signed this bill banning mass mandates. We've seen that some schools in Northern Virginia have been saying, we want to keep our mass mandates. Does that surprise you? Well, they're not going to be able to because the law is going to be effective March 1st. So we gave them that uh, bit of cushion to begin to adjust to the law is happening. It's coming. Uh, the, the, the House of Delegates passed it. The Virginia Senate passed it. 
it is uh, in an emergency mode, which means, you know, he could have, the governor, when he signed it, could have made it effective immediately upon signing, which was yesterday, the 16th. But instead, he decided to give that some, give the, the school some leeway to adjust. So March 1st, it's the law of the land. And mm. they they will have to do uh, what, what uh, the law says, which is allow the parents the opportunity to decide for themselves whether their children will wear a mask or not. Now, I think when we think back to your election, a lot of people were surprised to see Virginia go red in this election because for a long time, Virginia has been trending blue. Do you think that Virginia is representative of the rest of the country and that we'll begin to see other states embrace conservative principles? I think what the people began to see uh, in Virginia and elsewhere which, by the way, coming back to masks is why you saw all those Democratic governors begin to change what they were saying about masks. Suddenly, you want to have masks gone. Suddenly, you want to give parents that opportunity. We're talking about, about uh, truly blue places like New Jersey, Delaware, for goodness sake, California, California, and then Washington, D.C., and Oregon and said it was shocking, shocking that in one day on a Monday, suddenly all these Democratic uh, uh, states with their Democratic governors decided ah, not so happy about masks anymore. So they see that the, that the people are unhappy when you see, for example, in San Francisco, very liberal place. Nobody has to tell us that very liberal place. And they got rid of three school board members. Because they said, we're tired of the schools not being open. You're focusing on renaming schools. For what reason? And, and these masks and all these things, and our children aren't learning. So it's coming. You're seeing the people are fed up. There are enough Democrats who are fed up. There are enough uh, independent-leaning Democrats who are fed up. And, of course, you know, the Republicans and independents are fed up. So, yeah, you're going to see a sea change, I do believe. Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for your time today. We so appreciate you joining the show. Yes, and we want businesses to relocate relocate here to Virginia because there's a new sheriff in town and we are open for business. We're building mega sites. Come down and check us out. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor. Thank you very much. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about a great way you can stay in the know on all the news The Daily Signal covers. Social media. The Daily Signal has an active presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are constantly posting news stories, clips from interviews, videos, and more across all our social platforms. Follow The Daily Signal on social media so you can get all the latest content from reels on Instagram to video clips on Facebook and political commentary on Twitter. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us again on Thursday for a brand new edition. And remember, if you are at CPAC, 
make sure to swing by the Daily Signal booth. Lauren and I are going to be there mm. with some pretty sweet swag, including the tumblers that you saw on Instagram. They've been really popular. I know. Everyone wants one of these things, which I don't blame them. They're I, awesome. Yeah. I've been drinking pretty much everything out of it. Yeah, no, it's literally sitting right next to me right now. <laughs> They're fantastic. <laughs> and don't forget, conservatives need your support in the podcast world, so we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. We'll see you Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.